This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. We got some Freestyle Friday commencing now. Very excited to uh, get a chance to hang out with you for a bit today. Much appreciated. Spent some time last night going over all the Facebook messages that have come in. Uh, I appreciate those very much. If you want to send any on today's show or thoughts before the election or anything you want covered next week, uh, I will get on there and uh, read and respond as as quickly as I can. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you're listening and you have not already done so, please click like or follow on the page. And then you'll be in constant communication on all things Freedom Hut. So there's some news today that we got to cover. And then we're going to get into some other fun stuff. I've got some very cool uh, freestyle-like segments planned. So don't worry. This is not going to be a three-hour, oh, Trump and Hillary and Trump and Hillary and... No, no, no. It's not how we roll on Fridays. I know the election is Tuesday. Well, of course, I know the election is Tuesday. But there's not that much that's particularly new that's dropping today. Maybe they're saving some stuff for one final push on Monday. I think that there's agitation in much of the media that this thing is still uh, going and that it's uh, it's a real race. Trump does have paths to victory that are feasible. I'm not saying they're probable, but they are feasible. And they were hoping to have this thing all sewn up already. And it's not. And I think they've I think they've thrown their best punches at Trump. I mean, this whole Trump is a stooge of Russia thing. It's just not enough. Isn't it also interesting that (laughs) the Democrats in one breath will say that talking about a rigged election is undermining democracy. And oh, by the way, Russia is trying to rig the election. Well, well, which is it? I'm confused. I thought saying the election could be rigged is, is uh, destroying the very fabric of the republic. Oh, but the Russia thing, yeah. The KGB, which doesn't exist anymore, but they mean the FSB. But the people saying this are too ignorant to know the difference anyway. So they'll say things like the KGB is behind all this stuff and they're trying to get Trump elected. And even if the Russian uh, intel services are the ones responsible for the hacking and giving all the information to WikiLeaks, I think they probably are. Nothing that they've... I haven't seen anything that has been proven to be false, so isn't this interesting? And as we know, the Democrats, depending on the circumstances, love disclosures 
of otherwise protected information, uh, even if it's obtained illegally. So that's just that's worth worth keeping in mind. I'm, I'm pretty sure they found out about Watergate, for example, because the FBI leaked it to the FBI director or assistant director or something like that, leaked it to the press. Am I right? I think so. Uh, so and of course Trump's tax returns. I love that people go on Twitter and go. You don't know. Maybe maybe Marla Maples gave it to the press. Yeah, yeah. Marla Maples is going to pick a fight with Donald Trump right now by releasing. I mean, yeah, she's got other things on her mind. All right, I, I, I do not think that Marla Maples was about to pick a fight with Donald Trump on the national level over that. It's the dumbest thing I've seen in a long time. Oh, maybe maybe someone that was allowed to release the tax returns. No, nobody who was allowed to release them they were leaked and for federal officials to do that by the way is a crime which is one of the ways that back to the old targeting of the tea party days remember that federal government was actually targeting the tea party one of the ways that they tried to evade more public disclosure was to say well sorry we can't tell you more about the groups we targeted because it would be a crime for us to release any of their return information so when it's helpful you can see people will trot that out there speaking of law and order dun dun uh which is also clearly an addictive show that if you're not careful i was going to say on a cold rainy day or snowy day or for that matter an absolutely beautiful day where you will think less of yourself for not going outside yeah ty agrees you, you can go you can you can rip through eight hours of law and order episodes and you're just like what what happened to my day it's almost like a semi-coma state you go into you're just watching law and order law and order i mean if you've got food nearby and a bathroom close for the for the occasional break uh you can just law and order it all day long uh, but speaking of law and order as a concept not as a show former christie chris christie aides are guilty on all counts in the bridge trial we're going to tie this into the uh, presidential election and, and what's going on there in a second by the way because I, I see some big I, I see some real crossover. Um, so here's what we got. Uh, the uh, the aides who were tried here were convicted of conspiring to fraudulently misuse federally funded property, wire fraud, and deprivation of civil rights. Wire fraud, deprivation of civil rights. Let's just rewind for a second. What did they do? They caused a traffic jam. Now, I need someone to understand. I need someone to explain to me. So a public official causes a traffic jam and which, by the way, not cool, not acceptable. I, I, I don't I'm not defending what they did at all. It's not cool. They shouldn't do it. And there, there should be. I mean, this is to me the sort of thing that people should be fired for. They are facing on some of these on some of these counts. Never mind. All of them together, although I'm sure they'll be the sentencing guidelines will be less than this, but up to 20 years in federal prison. Let me repeat that in a public corruption investigation that has just concluded a couple of people who created a traffic jam in an area that is constantly full of traffic jams. I might add, you do not want to be anywhere near the George Washington Bridge during rush hour ever, ever. They created a traffic jam, and now they are facing up to 20 years in federal prison. 20 years. I mean, people 
get into an argument with their neighbor and chop off their head with a hatchet and wear it as a hat, and they don't necessarily get 20 years in federal prison. Depends on the circumstances. 20 years. Think about that. Now, I, I spoke to you. I find this very interesting because I spoke to you, I think it was yesterday, about how prosecutors love public corruption. They get so much attention. Bridgegate, this huge thing. By the way, Chris Christie untouched. I shouldn't say untouched politically. I'm not saying that. But criminally speaking, untouched by all this still. Although there is this report and a hat tip to Ty for bringing it to my attention that the New York Post has out from a couple of days ago that Donald Trump initially offered the VP slot to Chris Christie, but then withdrew it. It was a week to go before the GOP convention. Uh, Trump had not made his choice among Christie, Pence, and Gingrich. Wow, Gingrich was in there, too. That's why Gingrich is a super Trumper. Um, but they pressured him to pick Pence because they figured he, the baggage with some of the others was too heavy, and Trump's already got enough baggage. Isn't that interesting? Christie was almost VP. But this Bridgegate thing probably prevented him from becoming V. Or it looks like it did prevent him from becoming VP. And now we have. Uh, now we have a couple of Christie's top lieutenants who are facing really serious federal prison time. Deprivation of civil rights. I just think it's so interesting, too, that an organized uh, group that lies down on a highway for two hours you know, people maybe get like disorderly conduct or something, but there's no there's no serious charges. And I can't stand that. I mean, when Black Lives Matter shuts down illegally Sixth Avenue and everyone gets stranded and can't go anywhere for the, the time period that the march is happening or whatever, the, the illegal march that shuts down traffic. I, I really wish there were serious consequences to the people who did that, because uh, there are consequences for other people. I've had to sometimes get to my job, well, one of my jobs, which is at CNN, when that sh- when they shut down Sixth Avenue, and no one's getting arrested. No, they don't care. So traffic jam involving public officials, heinous crime, decades in prison. Traffic jam involving leftist agitator group, free speech, no problem. I just want to make sure that we're all clear on that. That 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 the, this is the. This is apparently the standard that is applied in these situations, and uh, it's quite a double standard, if you ask me. Although I know people say, oh, public officials have a greater, okay, fine, they have a greater obligation, but <laughs> 20 years, everybody. Think back to 20 years ago. For some of you, you'd probably be like a couple of years old, but it's a long time for a traffic jam. Public corruption cases, as I was saying to you yesterday, are pursued with tremendous zeal by prosecutors' offices because they are uh, attention grabbers, they are career builders, and they have that added little special sweet sauce of making it seem like the system is fair and honest and there will be accountability for the powerful. But of course, as we've seen, public corruption cases are not pursued the same way. Within that category, there are some very special carve-outs that are made. We know that Hillary Clinton, we know that Hillary Clinton had lots of meetings with people uh, and her husband was receiving huge checks from people with business before the Secretary of State at the time. We know that that's why husband and wife are considered to be one financial entity when they are in public service, because otherwise all of a sudden the spouse would just have all these gifts showing up all the time 
And now this is what gets you in the McDonald situation. But remember, McDonald took no official act on behalf of anyone. So they gave his wife gifts, but he didn't do anything. He hung out. I mean, if hanging out with somebody is special, well, then every politician that gets a donation from anybody is in trouble, right? The difference with Clinton is that he was getting checks from people who were clearly trying to influence his wife and his wife as head of an organization it would seem very clearly push that organization, the State Department, to make decisions favorable to the check writer. That's it. The Clinton Foundation was largely a sort of bribery money laundering operation. And we're told that there are prosecutors in, uh, in U.S. attorney's offices in places like the Eastern District of New York, formerly Loretta Lynch's, uh, Loretta Lynch's home court, and... They don't want to touch the Clinton Foundation case. If you can make this case against Christie AIDS and get 20 years, these people are going to prison for a long time. I mean, not 20 years, but what, five years even? Federal prison? Four years? Ten years? I don't know. We'll see what the judge sentences them to. I mean, for inconveniencing a whole lot of people and doing a stupid thing, and they should should pay a price for it, but I mean, I think losing your job... Uh, ignominiously word of the day and paying a, you know paying a substantial fine and perhaps you know six months in county jail or something like that might be more appropriate oh Ty just brought something up civil rights violation because a lady died in an ambulance did not did not did not know that thank you Ty now now we add that in there well, I'm just if if the standard is now you create traffic in anybody who dies in an ambulance or anybody who's sick and can't get to the hospital, that's on you. I would like that to be remembered during all Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street and other protests that happen across the country where there have been traffic jams that have lasted for hours, hours. So that's very interesting. Thank you, Ty, for that. Uh, that heads up. I did not know that that was a part of I knew that people had raised that as a possibility. I didn't know they'd actually found somebody who. Now, of course, the question then becomes, could they have saved this woman anyway? Um, could, you know, would it have made a difference? But I know if I were the, if I were a family member of that woman's, I would be furious. I would be super furious. This is this is now sort of turning into one of those cases where um, one of those cases where it's like somebody thinks it'd be funny to pull a stop sign off the street i mean some people obviously it's a wildly stupid thing to do uh and then there's a car accident and somebody dies they go well i just pulled a stop sign it's like well you're responsible um man 20 so maybe they will get the full maybe they'll get the full 20 didn't know didn't know about the person who had uh, who had died in traffic maybe they get the full 20 now but you see public corruption investigation happening here and they they this is kitchen sink time i mean they went with everything they went with everything. And the, ex- the excuse offered up initially by the Christie aides uh, were, was that they thought it was for par- a traffic study. So if it was for a traffic, keep in mind, people do shut down lanes and for stupid reasons all the time. Happens all the time. Here in New York City, mysteriously, there were some parts of Manhattan that actually voted Republican, believe it or not, when de Blasio was running for mayor. And the first major snowstorm, they were unplowed and it was impassable. Just 
so happened to coincide with those areas. Were there any ambulances driving around there? You can hear when I'm doing radio here. There are ambulances about every five minutes going around New York City. Pretty sure somebody got slowed down on the way to Lenox Hill Hospital. But they went after that. They went after this Bridgegate case with everything they had. Now they've got convictions with big sentences attached to it. Uh, they've got the civil rights violation. I want to look into that more, too. If it's, I don't understand why it's civil rights violation and not – if they're saying they're, they're responsible for that woman's death, it would seem to me that would be involuntary manslaughter, quite honestly. So uh, I need to, I'll look into that one a little more. But the, the main point of comparison or the main thing to keep in mind is that public corruption cases get prosecutors so excited and fired up and they go all in unless it's the Clinton Foundation. And then it's like, meh. It kind of weak. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Don't go too far. Don't dig too much. No subpoenas. No grand jury. No nothing. So you shut down traffic. You get sent to prison for decades. You sell the Secretary of State's office. You run for President of the United States. Take a break here. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. I was just talking to Ty in the break about how, you know, look, I, I would take the approach. I sometimes wish I'd gone to law school. As many of you know, I, I instead of going to business school, I b- did this. I became this. Uh, I was so close to going to business school. And then Glenn Beck and, uh, and at the time his president, Betsy Morgan, appeared out of nowhere. And we're like, hey, why don't you come work for us? And I was like, yeah, man, let's join the circus. It sounds awesome. So here I am five years later. It'll be six years in June. It's crazy, right? So I'll, I will have been in as of this June, I will have been in media the same amount of time I was in uh, intelligence counterterrorism work six and six. All right. Uh, where was I on all this? OK, I, I looked up a little more on the woman that died as a result or, you know, uh, during the Bridgegate thing. And according to the Daily News, although this is an old piece from 2014, this thing's been going on a long time. The family of a 91 year old woman who died during the George Washington Bridge Lane closings. Uh, won't blame her death on the government-generated gridlock. My mother-in-law was already dead when they got there, said Frank O'Leary. They couldn't revive her. So uh, Ty and I are looking at this. We're trying to find out. Um, we're trying to find out whether that's that was the final sort of 
disposition of this, if that was accepted or not, we'll, we'll I'll try to stay up into that because the the civil deprivation of civil rights charge or whatever it is in there that to me is for a for a traffic jam. I mean, look, somebody who uh, causes a traffic jam, I get very I get very upset with them, and, and I don't think it's acceptable at all. Uh, but it just seems to me to be a strange charge. Somebody also asked me about the wire fraud aspect of this. Uh, keep in mind, all, all of this, think about this in the context of if they wanted to go after Clinton Foundation people. Anything that involves the Internet, email, that is part of the criminal conspiracy then becomes wire fraud, basically. That's how they do it. So that's – this is also how the federal government, if it, if it wants to prosecute you, can always make can always make most things that are – of a certain threshold, a federal case. Did you use a cell phone? Did you cross state lines? Did you send an email? Did you, you know, any of that stuff? And it can go federal. Uh, and which I, mean, I think is actually very problematic. I think the, the fact that the interstate commerce clause is essentially used as a complete federalization of law enforcement across the country or of, of law, I should say, across the country, criminal law is very dangerous. Um, but nonetheless, it's where we are. So uh, I'll look at this more. Anyway, I know some of you are like, why are we getting into Bridgegate so deep on a Friday after the election? The point here is exactly what I told you before is true. Public corruption cases get prosecutors more excited than pretty much anything else, unless they've got, like, you know, the second bin Laden to prosecute. And look at Bridgegate, 20-year sentences, uh, subpoenas, testimony under oath, all that stuff, grand jury, all of it, kitchen sink, right? They went all out. I mean, they were dropping the napalm for this one. And Clinton Foundation investigation? Oh, I don't know. No subpoena. No grand juries are icky. We don't want to do that. Let's not be mean to the Clintons. Completely disparate tracks of the justice system, my friends. We've got more coming up. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Team, the phone lines are open. It's Freestyle Friday. Want to hear from you. What do you think about everything going on? We've got an election a few days away, which is a big, it's a big deal. It's a big thing, this election. Or, or so I'm told. Uh, 888-900-3393. Uh, Mark in Maryland. Welcome to Freestyle Friday in the Freedom Hut. What is up? Shields high, Buck. Shields, Shields high. high, brother. Okay, now, um, I know that in Rogers, Robert's Rules of Order, there is a thing that's known as a parliamentary procedure where you can uh, put up a vote or a motion for opposition or censoring certain aspects of government po- policy. And uh, they call it a vote of no confidence. They they use that a lot over in England, Belgium, yeah. a couple other countries, Germany, things like that, but it's something that could be brought up, you know, the whole body of Congress could bring it up under the orders. Is there uh, any history of that ever happening? And if so, can it be applied today if we end up getting somebody there in office that just, uh, you know, just can't do the job and do it right and legally? 
Uh, I mean, a, a vote of no confidence is a, is a parliamentary is a parliamentary matter, and so it's not something that we have. Uh, it's not something that we have here. I mean, we could we could pass. You know, there's like non-binding, you know, the non-binding resolutions. There's any number of uh, structures or, or ways to go on the record with something that doesn't have the force of of law. Um, I'm trying to think if if there's actually. There, there's really it's has it happened i should i should check um uh, let me see the united states congress passed a no confidence motion against secretary of state dean atchison in the 1950s uh okay but who cares right i mean it's sort of like how is that any different from a you know from the leadership uh you know senate leadership going on cnn and saying yeah this guy sucks you know what i'm saying it doesn't really okay i vote of no confidence because they don't happen regularly here uh, at all, uh, they don't really have much resonance in the public mind, and they're usually associated with parliamentary procedure, not with uh, the way we do things. And so, you know, I, I think that there would be plenty of way, plenty of times we could have had a vote of no confidence, but instead we've just had, uh, you know, either they, they, they pass a non-binding resolution or they just sort of say stuff on TV. Um, well, wh- what do you think it would do? I'm just wondering. Well, wh- well, why would it? Uh, why would it matter? Well, like, uh, you get somebody in office, and you can uh, have them recalled. Uh, you can, I know the, what they they tried pulling up Wisconsin and a couple other places over here. Uh, could they possibly recall a president? Or, yeah, it's called, it's called impeachment and removal from office. Of course they can recall a president. Okay. And that process is already right. in place. I mean, you're sort of describing just different versions of the same, pro- of the same government processes, and already, it should be noted, there are people who are trying to create a, a oh gosh, they're they're gonna they're gonna impeach Hillary. That's so wrong uh, that that storyline's already out there. Because I do think that there's a real concern. It depends on obviously control of, of the of the Senate and the House, but I think the House is going to be it's going to be Republican. And if the Republicans maintain control in the Senate, they're not going to have the two thirds needed to remove her from office. But man, they could they could hobble a Hillary presidency quickly, uh, and and I think that's a very with Obama the dynamic was very different. You had the the first black president, and also he wasn't. I, I know people are going to say, "Oh, Buck," but there was all this stuff in his background, Reverend Wright. Yeah, there there weren't five criminal investigations swirling around him and his associates when he came into office. You know, we need to be. You know, what's fair is fair. What's true is true. Uh, and and he, not only was he the first black president, he wasn't. He wasn't enmeshed in decades of legal scandal the way Hillary Clinton is and, and, and continuing scandal. So, yeah, I know she'll be the first woman president, but she's Hillary Clinton. She's been around forever. Everybody knows her deal. And uh, I, I don't think Republicans will be shy about trying to really, you know, trying to really mess her up. I'll be honest with you, trying to uh, you know stop her presidency before it even gets going. So we'll see, Mark. Is that an answer? I, I, I tried to answer it. I, I th- something else to talk about with the guys you know we sit around and have coffee clutches at my house uh nice. you know i'm i'm disabled and laid up so we well, all i'm glad i gave you something and- else to talk about my friend thank you for uh, thank you for listening good to talk to you and uh shield tie um so where were we uh oh yeah moving on to something else in the uh, in the headline we got, a, we got a bunch we got a bunch of stuff also from new york post FBI reportedly has found emails from Hillary Clinton's private server on the laptop computer seized from Anthony Weiner. 
And they are not duplicates already found in the server probe. This according to CBS News. Okay, everybody. We got a we got a couple of things to chew on here together for a second on this lovely Friday. So we're a few days away from presidential election. We've been through this very long review process. Remember the Hillary Clinton and her and her surrogates were calling it a quote security review for a while. And I was like, no, it's a criminal investigation. It is an investi it is not a security review. A security review is what you know, some State Department officers will do to make sure, like, the doors lock in an embassy somewhere, okay? There's not a security review going on. It was a criminal investigation. And it's been going on for a long time. A lot of FBI agents have been involved, as we know. And very, very much, this is very much under scrutiny. It's very politicized, all the rest of it. And yet now we're being told that, first of all, before we even get into what could be on there, which is a fun part of this conversation, and it is speculative, I will say that, they're finding stuff they didn't find before. How thorough could this investigation be? How serious could this investigation be? And they're only finding it, by the way, they're not finding it because of their dogged, determined investigative techniques. They're finding it because Anthony Weiner is a sick freak weirdo. That's the only reason they found this. If it weren't for Wiener's stuff, whatever it is, we don't really know the full extent yet. Uh, we know enough. They would not have found these emails that they didn't see in the first place. I need someone to explain to me. I need someone to explain to me how that is the case. That the FBI, the storied FBI would have not been able to get these emails on Huma Abedin's laptop. Normally, when somebody's under criminal investigation and there's any need for a record of their communications and their activities online and all that stuff, they just seize all the electronic devices. And you would have to swear, yeah, this is all my stuff. This is everything I've been using. That's for normal people. Apparently, they didn't do that for Huma Abedin who was, by the way, I think drawing three salaries while she was a very senior State Department official. The people I know who are really doing government service, like the people I know who are directors at the NSC, uh, or I should say have known, I don't really know any NSC directors right now, but I used to know some, uh, used to be friends with some, and they worked their butts off for not a lot of money, not a lot of glory, but very interesting work, and they worked very long hours and it was hard. They did not have time for two other jobs. And, of course, Abedin was set up with Clinton, with like a Teneo consulting thing and Clinton Foundation stuff and all, yeah, all, this, all these outside gigs. Essentially no-show jobs uh, so that she could draw. By the end of it, I, I, think, somebody, I think somebody tabulated she was making like seven or $800,000 a year while she was working at the State Department. Well, that's nice. I'd like that salary. You know, most you know, GS-15s are making like in salary one. 20, 130, still good, but not making 700 grand. Side note, I know. Huma did not turn over all of her stuff. There are emails that the FBI didn't find, which raises the question. Our friend Andy McCarthy raised it in National Review Online. What other stuff didn't they find? What other rocks remained not overturned? Unturned? Is that a word? <laughs> I was trying to get there. What other, uh, what other areas did they not poke into that they should have for a more thorough investigation? 
And also, you'll notice there's so little uh, panic about the fact that there seems to be classified that has filtered out all over the place. Oh, very. Uh, an- another side note about all this that I just think is 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 pretty fascinating as we go through. Um, so there's all this stuff that's out there. The FBI is still finding stuff, and Comey's the bad guy because he said we're still looking at stuff. And the Democrats turned on him. I mean, they're such hacks, aren't they? No respect for the process. No respect for the system, a system they largely control and which they will use for their own purposes in nefarious ways. They don't respect the system. Comey comes out after weeks of knowing about this and says, look, we're still looking at stuff. What's he going to do? Not say that? Truth is that either the FBI or, quite honestly, Huma Abedin messed up. But if they admit that Huma Abedin messed up, she has to go to prison because she lied. She lied. Notice how the Clintons also, this is just, there's, I could sit around and talk about this stuff all day. It gets me very fired up. But I promise we won't. We've got other cool stuff to get into today. Surprises for you. Ooh, surprise. Uh, notice how Huma Abedin can say, oh, I made a mistake or I don't remember. And the FBI doesn't bring any charges. Notice how Hillary Clinton could say, I think it was 27 times. I don't recall. No charges, no nothing. I don't recall or I'm or 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 oopsie or whoopsie for a lot of people in federal criminal investigations doesn't cut it for Hillary and all of her aides. It does. Uh, Didn't for Scooter Libby, who was uh, who got dinged and sent to was being sent to prison and being ruined for a conversation he had that he remembered one way. And I think it was Tim Russert remembered another. They went after him on that. It's all a question of how they use the discretion, my friends. We have seen the system laid bare, and it is rotten. It is rotten. Uh, we got to go into a break. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. To the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I've got some breaking news involving Putin, Russia, and Steven Seagal, who is now a Russian citizen. Oh my, comrade commie bears weighing in. Go. Prepare for a special Kremlin announcement from comrade commie bear. Greetings, imperialist hyenas, is the Marxist mammal, the one, the only, the gummy bear. What crazy election you have. In mere days, your weak cheeseburger-stained fingers will struggle to pull lever for either pantsuit princess of corruption or the only truly great American leader since John Wayne. Yeah, that's right. Commie bear is going for Trump, home slice. That swoop of hair, those hands of almost satisfactory size... He is like part tiny bear, part Putin twin brother, portal player, for real. But forget about your silly election for a moment, capitalist swine. Either way, your decrepit country is collapsing faster than mainstream media credibility. We have much more important news to discuss. Putin, the incredible manly leader with pec muscles so hard they feel like T-90 tank, 
Whoa, whoa, so Kami Bear is told. Don't get the ideas, filthy swine. Anyway, Putin has made greatest decisions since Russian TV pick up Baywatch. The most awesome leader since Ivan the Terrible has been given Russian citizenship to world-famous actor star Steven Seagal. So even your heroes want to come party with the Soviet style like it's 1969. Seagal is now the David Hasselhoff of Moscow. His career will grow bigger than Belki Bartokomis' from Perfect Strangers. Okay, enjoy your predetermined sham election that we are actually deciding for you, Amerikanski scum. Do svidaniya. Welcome to the revolution. Comrade Kami Bear is now finished with you. Words from the bear saying our election's already already been determined. But then again, the Democratic Party saying that. So I don't think we can really blame the furry little fella for that one. He's waiting. He'll be waiting more, obviously, next week on the election. But yeah, if it's good enough, uh, good enough for Harry Reid and the Democrats, I guess it's it's good enough for Kami uh, Bear. So, uh, just to, to finish up on the on the email thing for a second, I'm still there's still a part of me that thinks that Monday there's going to be something really really good. <laughs> when I mean good, I mean ooh, uh, the, there it would make the most sense. Maybe maybe they want to wait for Hillary to to win, and then once we've sort of already crossed the Rubicon. The uh, the WikiLeaks just showers us with what a what a corrupt and horrible person we've elected. But first of all, maybe she won't win, of course. And uh, I gotta think that if they've got something really good, and what would really good be? It wouldn't be, although actually, if they have some of the really sensitive classified stuff, and they publicly released it in unredacted form, I do. I think that you would have. I think that you would have a political revolt from inside the intel agencies and FBI, and uh, I think a lot of senior military also would would freak out, as they should. Uh, because remember, we don't know what's really in there. They, only people on the inside have been allowed to see it. If WikiLeaks has it, they don't have to redact it. So that's one option, is that they release clearly sensitive stuff. Like, oh, hey, that, you know... Thanks for sending me that satellite imagery of that super sensitive site. Like, really cool. Click, click. Like, great. Something like that would be really bad for Monday. Or, you're right, they wrote a big check to the Clinton Foundation. I got to speak to so-and-so in the department or whatever, and we got to push that thing through. Is she dumb enough to have ever put that in an email? I don't know. But keep in mind, she thought she had control over the email record. So those are the only two ways I see it making a big difference on Monday. Team, we've got a lot more coming up, including some freestyle craziness. Stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt for hour two. Joined now by Matt Walsh. He is a writer at theblaze.com and the Matt Walsh blog. And also, he is the guy behind the Matt Walsh podcast, which you can download from the Blaze Radio. Matt, good to have you. Thanks for calling in on a Friday. Yep, thanks for having me. 
Uh, okay, so what's with spirit cooking? I'm just going to ask the question, what the heck is going on? That's a really good question. I don't, you know, I've, I've said all along that I, that I think uh, I've compared liberalism to, I've, I've always called it secular Satanism. It's a form of Satanism, but I, I didn't know it was so, it was so literal as all that. But uh, I think we've reached the point in the election where the things that are coming out, particularly about the Clintons, are so crazy and outlandish that I'm not even sure if they have an impact, even if they're true, but it's just, it just seems so bizarre and, and, and out of left field. But apparently, according to WikiLeaks, uh, John Podesta, Clinton's campaign chairman, was invited to a, um, a, a I guess, a sort of satanic ritual where they would, I, I don't even know if I can describe what goes on. It, it involves many different bodily fluids and, um, and a lot of creepy things. And like I said, you hear that and you think, well, that's just, it's, it's, it's almost too crazy. So I don't know. I don't know how the average voter, uh, I don't know what they do when they hear about things like that. I mean, Gateway Pundit is, uh, is reporting on it. I'm seeing some other people. It, it is from the official WikiLeaks account. Nothing that they have released so far, to my knowledge, has been, uh, has been proven as fraudulent or has even been, has even been, uh, specifically accused of being faked, right? Or there, there have been no even there have been no specific forgery allegations of any of these emails, and this is from WikiLeaks, and they're saying that John Podesta went to basically a satanic ritual. I, I, I feel weird saying this to you, like all of a sudden we're on a different kind of show, and I'm about to start talking about UFOs, but I'm not, right. I'm not crazy in that this is this is from WikiLeaks, and this is a thing, right? This is a thing that people are talking about, or some people are talking about. Yeah, I think we can assume it's 100% real in the sense that it was actually in the WikiLeaks dump, and we can assume that all of the all of the WikiLeaks emails are are uh, accurate and real, and we can assume that because, like you said, although although the Clinton campaign has said, well, we don't know, some of them are fake, but they have not pointed to a single email of the tens of thousands and said this one is fake, and they haven't done that because none of them actually are fake. So we know it's true that he was invited to this thing. You, you can look up on what spirit cooking. You can look it up online. And then you find that it's a it's a satanic ritual. That's what it is. And so we don't. I guess we don't know if he actually went. Um, that's the that's the line I'm seeing on Twitter right now from some of the liberals as well. He was invited to it. Doesn't mean he went. But um, I, I have to think that if you're wrong, how, how many satanic crowd, rituals have, have you been invited to, Matt? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. I got zero on my side. Right. I, nobody would ever think to. I don't run with Satanists uh, that right. I know of. So. Um, I, I think it's the kind of thing that if somebody invites you to that, it's like if someone, you know, if there was an email, so someone invites you to a giant orgy of some kind. Well, that probably means that you're the kind of person that goes to orgies. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be invited to them. So we can assume that we know he was invited and we can assume he probably went. And um, how troubled people are by that, I guess that's up to them to decide. But I find it pretty troubling. That does beg the question. and It's, it's one that I've been struggling with for the past week. What could even be in the Hillary emails at this point? And, and we know that, that some of the Huma Abedin laptop emails are Clinton Foundation or, 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 or related to the Clinton Foundation investigation and new. They're not duplicates. So we've got that. Uh, we don't know what, how important they are, how interesting they are. And obviously a lot of the stuff in the past hasn't amounted to anything. But I, I think you mentioned this a moment ago, and I kind of just uh, toss it back to you for a, a little more. 
what could turn off Democrats to Clinton at this point? What could be found in these emails that would, realistically speaking, I mean, we do have Satanism now coming up, but realistically speaking, that would make them say, okay, you know what, you're right. Maybe I won't pull the lever for Hillary anymore. I, I can't think of anything. The only thing I can think of is if she was found in the emails uh, confiding that, oh, you know what, actually I'm pro-life or, or actually I'm, I'm not pro <laughs> gay marriage. Maybe if she said something like that, uh, that would cause some liberals to stay home. I don't know. Although, although it wouldn't cause them to, wouldn't cause them to pull the lever for Trump. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I, when we talk about the criminality and the corruption and the scandals, and I don't think there's anything. In it. And I've, I've felt this way for a long time that maybe the polls show differently because the polls have fluctuated. Trump seems to have made, made up some ground. So that means people are changing their minds or, or making up their minds who hadn't made up their minds before, I guess. But for the most part, you know, for a long time now, we, we know what Trump is all about. We know what Clinton's all about. And it seems to me that you, you're either comfortable with it or you aren't. And um, a lot of people have decided, well, they're comfortable with what Clinton does. And so all, all of the new revelations, they just think, well, yeah, OK, I'm, I'm already on board for it. So I'm not sure there's much that could turn them off at this point. I do feel like there's a silver lining, uh, and I'm, I'm looking for a lot of those these days, a silver lining that we could find in this whole election season is that at least on the Republican side, there has been, and for very understandable reasons, and I know you've been right in the middle of this and, and, and been fighting with, uh, you know, fighting this fight uh, since the beginning, there, there's been a sort of ideological GOP civil war going on. I mean, there have been very real, uh, not just debates, but fights and, uh, and real throwdowns over what it means to be a conservative, what what this means for the GOP, that Donald Trump is the, the nominee, where this goes. On the Democrat side, it was so it was, I think, very apparent early on. Yeah, there was that whole Bernie moment in time, but that was really just sort of a, a flirtation. Uh, Bernie Sanders people are all getting they've all gotten in lockstep behind Hillary Clinton. And there's been no uh, sense of shame from Democrats who stand tall and talk about how great Hillary Clinton is. You know, it's it's just it, it feels like there's this lust for power that has also exposed that on the Democrat side, there is really no such thing as a, as a particularly principled stand for a majority of the Democrats. It's just we got to get our person in there. Yeah, there's no never Hillary movement on the left. Uh, there is on the right. And there's a never Hillary and never Trump on the right, which I do, which I do think tells you something. I think the most you'll find on the left is there's certainly a lack of enthusiasm. I don't, I don't think that there are many leftists who are really, really excited about Hillary Clinton. But the lack of enthusiasm, I think, from them is just that uh, is just that, you know, it's just more about her personality and also the fact that that they know that she isn't as sincere on these leftist positions or as extreme as, say, Bernie Sanders was or even as Barack Obama was. So there's a lack of enthusiasm. But, yeah, there isn't any there isn't like there is on the right where people are standing up and, and, and actively opposing their own candidate. And so a lot of the lecturing that goes on where the left wants to lecture the right about Donald Trump, well, they have no leg to stand on. They certainly don't have. And it really annoys me when they pretend they have the moral high ground uh, because, oh, look how terrible Donald Trump is. First of all, Hillary is at least just as bad. Uh, many people would argue worse. And second of all, whatever the left wants to say to us about Trump, all, all we have to say in return is, yeah, we know. We, we've been saying this all along ourselves. There, nobody has, has attacked Trump more um, viciously than people on the right have. So we've been, we, there, we have been doing that. We've been saying that all along. Um, but they're the ones on the left who they can talk about Trump all they want. 
but who are the voices on the left who have not just been unenthusiastic about Hillary, but have actively opposed her, or, or at least, even if they say they're going to vote for her, have stood up and pointed out, you know, and criticized her for these various scandals. I don't think it's, I don't think it exists. I think maybe, you know, maybe there are two or three people, but it's nothing like it is on the right. And I do think that tells you a lot about liberalism. Well, you've seen the 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 most prominent Sanders supporters. Uh, with I know there are there are obviously going to be some exceptions, as you and I know, but the most prominent Sanders supporters, a lot of Hollywood folks and others, have like a flock of geese turning in unison, all just become super Hillary supporters. And there, there is a sort of a, a sort of totalitarian twang to the way people speak about Hillary Clinton because they they will not brook any criticism of her. They, they will not abide doubts about hillary their savior right i mean i know most people i know are like yeah i'll vote for trump but i mean come on like guy's got a lot of problems doesn't really know very much about policy i mean that's a that's a standard answer i get from longtime lifelong conservatives that i know outside of media and even many inside of media hillary voters i talked to are like hillary's gonna be great most qualified ever for the presidency she's fantastic the emails the email scandal is overhyped by republicans i'm like overhyped how, how, how do people say things like this and, and still, I don't know, go on TV and get taken seriously by anybody? She, she's lucky she's not in prison. Yeah. And by the way, the most qualified for president thing is so I that is so ridiculous that that and, and it's yeah, they all they all say it because it's all about the narrative to, to the left. But most qualified, most experienced, most qualified. I mean, John McCain was, was only eight years ago. The guy was a congressman, a senator for like 30 years, a, a veteran. You know, the first George Bush was what was he? A, he was a, a congressman. He was an ambassador. He's a CIA director, a veteran, a, you know, a pilot, a, a vice president. I mean, yeah, I feel like and, Eisenhower yeah, might throw his hand up and be like, I think I think I could get a vote here, too. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 absurd. But that's but that's what that's I think the answer is that on it's not you see some of this on the right, but on the left, it's entirely about narratives and so the narrative that they've settled into, they, they settled into a few narratives on Clinton. One of them is that she's the most experienced candidate ever, which is a which is just an abject uh, lie. And the other is that all of these, you know, it's the right wing conspiracy, the vast right wing conspiracy that Clinton talked about decades ago, that all of these attacks on Clinton are just uh, partisan in nature. And so whatever the attack doesn't matter what the attack is, it doesn't matter what evidence is produced. And there's been a lot of evidence um against clinton recently doesn't matter what evidence is produced it's just it's a right-wing conspiracy right-wing conspiracy and it's, it becomes like this mantra that they just repeat to themselves over and over again i imagine when they're you know, when these leftists are, are in their own, own homes uh, alone at night they just sit there as a right-wing conspiracy right-wing conspiracy rocking themselves to sleep at night assuring them reassuring themselves um because that's they certainly can't stomach facing the actual truth yeah, I kind of wish that those of us who were saying from the earliest days that Hillary Clinton's email situation is going to be exposed as a huge problem for her. It was illegal activity, and this is not going to go away. There were initial in the media people like me who were saying we're being mocked. They're saying, "Oh, that's crazy." It was. It was. I remember when she was saying it was allowed at the time. That was the initial storyline, and now, of course, it's oh, it was a mistake, right? Uh, Matt, how do you see how do you see it going down on Tuesday? I just want to ask you that before we go into a break here in a minute. Uh, do you think this is going to be close? What What do you What do you What's your gut tell you right now? I mean, according to the polls, it looks like it's it's. Uh, if you had asked me this two weeks ago, I would have been like everyone else saying, "Looks like it's going to be a Clinton landslide." I, I still think there's a there's a real good chance it could end up being somewhat of a landslide for Clinton, but uh, but according to the polls, you know, it looks like it looks like it's going to be close. 
And there's um, there's a part of me that that I, I see that as sort of the worst case scenario is a really close loss, a uh, really close Trump loss. I think that's the worst case scenario because then you know we're still going to have a Clinton presidency, but the the close loss will be seen as some kind of a mandate for Trumpism. And so, you know, we're not going to have the purging of Trumpism, and I think that's going to be a real problem for the right. But So, unfortunately, I think a, a loss, but a close one. All right. Matt Walsh is a writer at TheBlaze.com and the creator and writer of the Matt Walsh blog. Also download his podcast, which is up on the Blaze Radio page. Matt, great to, great to talk to you. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks a lot. Uh, team, 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. 888-900-3393. We've got a couple calls up. We can take some more whenever you get the chance. Escape from Lumberg. Sneak away in your cubicle. Or if you're just like hanging out at home, pick up the phone. Slavic in Missouri. What's up, my brother? Hey, what's up, Buck? How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. good. I called uh, twice before. Uh, I was a guy from Ukraine. I told you about more of a you know, situation in the war zone before. Oh, I so remember. I yeah, you. thank you for those calls. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. So, shield tie, Buck. Shield tie. Um, yeah. So I wanted to tell you some additional information about the spirit cooking video. You know, it is the most strange thing that I've ever come across with. But it actually uh, was originally started from Reddit. You know, the Donald on the Reddit. You know, Reddit site where they post a bunch of uh, links. Actually, I'm like never on Reddit, but uh, oh, I'm listening. <laughs> Right. Anyways, uh, on Reddit, there's this, a subthread called the Donald. It's getting really famous. There's like almost like quarter of a million subscribers, and uh, they, these people they started researching the WikiLeaks emails, and in the Podesta's email, they found the reference to the spirit cooking uh, video, which which you saw. And so they started researching more, and then they and then they tweeted it out to Julian Assange, who tweeted it out in WikiLeaks. So it wasn't actually from the WikiLeaks email. Or it was from the email, but it was the people on Reddit who actually investigated it and then told Julian. And then he's the one who, like, listened to them and said, hey, check this out. So wait, so so WikiLeaks, so, ha- like, released this in the tranche, but Reddit people actually did their sort of, like, it was exactly. sort of crowd crowd researched or crowdsourced. Yes. And they said, hey, Julian, check this out. And, and then it was sent out from WikiLeaks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually followed this. I've been following this for, like, four days straight, you know, kind of, like, staying late night doing deep research and um, I, I, was, I was amazed because I was like, man, I actually knew this before it actually came out. And we were actually trying to crowdsource it and make sure that everyone found out about it. And then Assange picked it up. And it's like, holy cow, like if this is actually real, everyone's picking it up. I don't even know what to say. Uh, and I'm a radio host. <laughs> yeah. You, you, got, you got the campaign chairman who was getting invited to satanic rituals. I mean, this is the kind yeah. of thing that, you know, if it was on the front page of the National Enquirer, I'd understand. And I would ignore right. it. But... Why is it in the wiki? What a weird thing to... If you're going to make something up to really damage the Clintons, this mm-hmm. isn't a great one. It's just a bizarre one. So yeah. I don't think... Yeah. I don't, it strikes me as why would they make this up? I know. I know, right? It's it's incredible. I mean, people are freaking out. They're like, man, they're like, I'm going to go to church this Sunday because this is like demonic stuff. Like, it's, it's incredible. Um, one last thing I wanted to share. There's also 
uh, investigations going on, well, through Reddit and 4chan and other posting site, and investigating the linkage between uh, Jeffrey uh, Epstein, you know, the the island effects uh, pedophile that was convicted. Yeah, and so Breitbart picked it up right now. Uh, Eric Prince, a former Navy SEAL, interview was interviewed by SiriusXM, and he said that there's connections that uh, Bill Clinton visited the island 20 times and Hillary visited the island six times. And there's also connections right now, which is unverified, that um, uh, Podesta used code words for child trafficking and, and sex trafficking involved with the Clinton Foundation. So all of this stuff is just coming out in the open, and uh, you know you're going to hear more of it. I wanted to update you, let you know. We'll see, man. It, it is it yeah. is uh, it is time when they're they're throwing everything they've got, both sides, into this, and a lot of it's unsourced, yeah. a lot of it's unverified, a lot of it's going to be untrue, I think, but. People are saying all kinds of stuff. Slavic, great to talk to you from Missouri. Thank you for calling in. Shields high. Uh, speaking of of the unsourced and the you know and the come on, the Guardian British paper has this report out that the FBI is Trump land, and that that's a quote, and that it's full of anti Clinton animosity. And uh, you know, of course, right now it's when when Jim Comey was throwing his body in in front of of the uh, you know in front of the. The avalanche, so to speak, to defend Hillary, uh, they thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now that he's just said, hey, by the way, there's more stuff to look at. Oh, yeah, it's not just Comey. The whole FBI is anti-Hillary. What a joke. Michael in Houston, what's up? Hey, how's it going? First of all, I want to say that your commie segment was awesome, and the Freedom Hut definitely was more Thank you. wondering if the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles player Josh Huff and the fact that he got charged with some concealed carry uh, issues from carrying New Jersey was not licensed to carry in Texas. If perhaps this could maybe spark a new discussion due to the fact that he's a high-profile, you know, NFL player. And Michael's cutting. Michael's cutting in and out. What? What? what uh, we lost him. Okay. Uh, sorry about that, Michael. We we I couldn't really hear you there, I and mean, we I mean the call dropped. Uh, Ty, did you get? Was he? What was? Were you asking about an Eagles player getting arrested for yes, a gun? There, there was an Eagles player who was who has since been released, who had a likes a carry permit in Texas, did not have one in New Jersey. He's a New Jersey resident. Got pulled over with weed and a loaded gun, and now he's released because he's probably going to do time because in New Jersey you can't have a loaded gun. He didn't have a carry permit. So he Oof. thinks that this may lead to something, but it's just not because this isn't new law for New Jersey. He got popped with with drugs and a gun. Oh well, you well one thing you can't have drugs and a gun at the same time. People don't always seem to know that, but even if it's weed, you cannot have a federally uh, federally banned substance and a firearm on your possession at the same uh, in your possession at the same time. Big no no. Um, and you can't even actually be using illegal drugs and be in possession of a firearm. Big no no. Um, so yeah, that guy's in trouble. Uh, that guy's not gonna. It's not gonna be good. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. One of the biggest endorsements I've seen for FBI Director Comey uh, ever. Clinton Communications Director Jen Palmieri forwarded to colleagues a news article, this is from, from foxnews.com, in which the FBI director suggested crime 
could be rising because police officers are becoming less aggressive. And uh, Palmieri wrote, get a big fat I told you so on Comey being a bad choice. Well, if she doesn't like Comey, it means he's a great choice. So there's that. So uh, Comey gets a little backhanded high five there, I suppose. Ah, very exciting stuff. I promised you some interesting Freestyle Friday activity, my friends. Switching gears quite a bit here. We are joined by Fred Hebert. He is National Geographic's archaeologist in residence. He's going to talk to us about the unsealing of Christ's reputed tomb and the revelations therein. Fred, great to have you on the show. Thank you for calling. It's great to be with you. All right, so please bring everybody up to speed here. What's going on with what is purportedly uh, the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth and what's, what has happened recently uh, with it? Well, I'm just back a couple of days ago from Jerusalem. I was working with a group from the National Technical University of Athens and the Greek Patriarchy in Jerusalem uncovering the tomb of Jesus. It's really quite amazing. And uh, it happened just a week ago. I was there when the marble slab was opened, and we looked down for the first time in literally centuries to look down into the original place where it's said that Jesus was put after his crucifixion. When was the last time that so it has been centuries since the, that slab was, was removed? Yeah, this is a conservation project. The church has uh, regulated by about three different groups from the Christian church, the Greeks, the Latins, that's Catholics, and the Armenians. And uh, they finally decided, after literally 200 years, to renovate this particular shrine. And it was opened probably for the first time in about 500 years. Wow. Uh, now, what, what evidence do we have? Uh, uh, and again, we're speaking to Fred Hebert, who's the National Geographic archaeologist in residence. Uh, what evidence do we have that this is the actual tomb of the man known as Jesus of Nazareth, who Christians believe is God? Well, right. Um, this, this is the place that um, the first Christian Roman emperor, Constantine, in 325 decided, well, decided, he sent his mom, actually, Helena, to Jerusalem to find the tomb and the the site of the crucifixion. And she went there, you know, in the 4th century A.D. and asked all the local people where where it actually happened. And this is the spot. And so our, our quest as archaeologists and conservators is to find that very spot where in the 4th century they actually said... This is the place. This is the GPS spot. And I think we were pretty successful. Now, why are, some, why are uh, archaeologists uh, looking at it and, and un- unsealing it now? What led, what led up to this, and what was the thinking behind this, this latest uh, series of actions? Well, be, be, because all of the different faiths are involved in this, it takes a long time to actually make those decisions. So the... The, the shrine itself is within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and it's controlled by all these different faiths, um, the, the, the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox and the Armenians. And it, 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 it was actually decided about 55 years ago to renovate it, and it took them that long 
to come to this decision. And I really have to thank the head of the conservation group, Professor Morapulu from Athens, who convinced them that now was the time that we have the technology to actually fix the shrine so that it will be stable in place despite earthquakes and any vibrations or any disasters that might happen, that it will be standing for the next thousand or two thousand years. So she's really the hero of the project. So this, so this is an effort to preserve what is already there for many, many centuries to come. Uh, when you remove the slab, was there anything surprising um, that you've discovered or that you've seen since being able to get up close and, and see parts of of the tomb of, of Jesus of Nazareth, purported tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, that uh, you weren't expecting to see? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, first of all, it, it, it took all of the the um, senior officials of the faith to agree to open it up. And as soon as they did, the riggers who had to deal with this hundreds and hundreds of pounds of marble pulled back the slab that was over the top. And the first thing that we saw looking, peering down was a lot of rubble. We weren't really expecting that. We were expecting to see maybe the bedrock or to, well, we, we really didn't know what to expect, but it took quite a considerable amount of time to clear out the rubble that was underneath it. And it was the next day that we were surprised to see that there was another marble slab underneath it. And, uh, I was part of that group that had a chance to look at it and and clean it with with a brush. And as we cleaned it, there was a small cross that was visible right under the spot that we were looking at. It was sort of a, uh, a, a most unusual moment to see that. Is, is this the single, for you, would you say, is this the single most fascinating archaeological site you've been involved in? And what else comes close? Well, I'm, I am the National Geographic's archaeologist, so I work at a lot of really cool sites. But um, <laughs> Yes, I, you do. I, yes, I do. I, I, I must say that, that um, this is a, a particularly important spot. I mean, because of its role in faith, because of its role in archaeology, because of its role in history, um, th- this was an unusual moment. And we only had 60 hours to open this particular shrine and to open the slab. And so we had to work very fast. We worked 24-7. And I, I must say the feeling was unlike anything I've ever experienced before. So it was unique. Uh, what else in the in the sort of general area of, of Christian, uh, sort of major Christian sites of archaeology, uh, what other places have you have you worked on, and uh, what what do we think about the Holy Grail? By the way, if I may ask, is that ever gonna? Are, are we ever? Is that, is that a thing that's ever gonna happen? Well, I, you know, you'd have to watch a couple of Indiana Jones films to really understand that. But I uh, <laughs> the full depth and scope of the of the Holy Grail, yeah, yeah. But 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 this is real. This 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 is a site which is venerated by Christians, millions and millions of people around the world conduct pilgrimages to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to have a chance to take a glimpse at this particular place. And for us to actually open it and take a look at it and see what it is and to um, 
take our cameras and our, our technology to look at it, I, it, it, it was uh, life-changing. It was amazing. And I'd like to say that it's going to take a long time because we collected a lot of data. That's what we do as archaeologists and scientists. We collected a lot of data. It's going to take a long time for us to sort of analyze all that data to understand exactly what we had a chance to see during those 60 hours. Well, that, that's exactly what I want to ask you. I mean, what, what further steps can you take in this sort of uh, both verification and, and identification process now that you've been able to get into this incredibly important site to Christians all over the world? What, can be, what, are, the thi- what are the sorts of things that you'll be looking at now? Well, we're going to be looking at the architecture of the building. That's the most important thing. The architecture is like a history book. You peel back page after page. The, 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 the building has been renovated over the last several centuries, several times, and we can actually identify those renovations. So we see a 19th century renovation, a 16th century renovation, the cross that was inscribed on the stone that we saw underneath is probably dated to the time of the Crusades, the 12th century AD. That was about as close as we could get. And then we went even further, deeper down, and we found the original limestone bed. The limestone bed, that would be, that could be the place itself? Where, where I mean, what, what would that mean? Well... You know, that, that's, that's where the division between science and faith come in, because uh, Constantine in the 4th century AD said, this is the spot. And what we can do as scientists is say, yes, indeed, this is the spot that Constantine, the Roman emperor, said, this is the spot. And uh, we're pretty sure that we found that spot. All right. Well, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, Fred, where can people go to read more about this and learn more about your work and specifically the work you've done on this project? Well, we're going to have a, a television special on National Geographic Explorer, which is coming out in late November or early December. And you can go to nationalgeographic.com and type in Jesus. All right. Fred Hybert, uh, thank you. Uh, Hebert, pardon me. The National Geographic's archaeologist in residence. Great to have you on, sir. Really appreciate you calling in. Good work. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, guys, going to a break. Wait, what? What happened, Ty? Oh, Ty said that was awesome. I agree, Ty. Thank you. I love it. I love it when the producers love the show they work on. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Go to the lines. We got Jerry in California. Welcome to Freedom Hunt, sir. Thank you for calling in. Well, cool. Uh, nice to talk to you finally. I, nice I to talk to, to you. The podcast. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you do. Um, Thanks. And if this thing goes so terribly south, uh, it's nice to have at least a familiar voice. <laughs> I appreciate what's that. Going on. Yeah. I mean, where are we going, and why are we in this basket? I don't know. But you like the show. That makes yeah. me happy. You know, the show's great. Thank you. I remember uh, seeing Glenn for the first time, and he was 
like, who is this guy? And then uh, I started watching him and then was able to discover you. And like I told your screener, um, I really appreciate the insight. I have a lot more understanding of what's going on. And unfortunately, that makes it a little scary, too. But, you know, hey, I'd rather know than not know. Well, I, um, I'm happy that you appreciate the insight from the show, and I um, wish it wasn't scary sometimes, but it is what it is. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, you know, right. the heart is what makes it good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jerry, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I like getting calls where people just want to say nice things about the show. It's very cool. You, Jerry Shields, hi. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Greg in Texas, what's up? Shields, hi, brother. Shields, hi, uh, brother. I'm glad I was able to get a hold of you. Yeah, I've been out of the net, and... Uh, I wanted to say that uh, I, I, I asked your call screener, great guy, by the way. Uh, we are filling on uh, Mosul, uh, Nineveh, as it were. Uh, been out of that, and uh, my kyle has been down, so haven't been able to talk to any of my brothers over there. Wanted to see if you knew what was going on. Yeah, I've, I've been talking to some people, including people who have just gotten back from over there. Uh, the Iraqi forces are, are making their way. They're kind of coming from the east. They, they're in, uh, I think they have basically all of Zahra neighborhood, uh, which is really a suburb of Mosul, uh, right. liberated. And, I mean, they're coming in from the east. They've sort of surrounded the city. Uh, and the, the, the issue they're dealing with now is they've got displaced persons. They've got people that are fleeing from inside ISIS-held areas, uh, women and children. And, you know, the stories they're telling are, are gut-wrenching. Uh, it's horrific. It's what you would expect with the Islamic State in charge of a city of, you know, 800,000 or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. So there's some really nasty stuff going on there. I mean, the fighting, the, the resistance is kind of as expected, I think, Greg. Uh, there's suicide bombers, car bombs being deployed, lots of snipers everywhere. I mean, it's just nasty block-by-block block urban warfare. What's up? Any human shields? Are they using human shields? Oh, of course, yeah. They're using human shields, and they're, they're firing from, from populated areas, and they're firing from apartments where I'm sure there are women and children you know, in the apartment right. or nearby. I mean, you know, ISIS recognizes no law of warfare other than, you know, savagery and the pursuit of victory is fine. Right. Uh, so, you know, so the, the Iraqis, though, so far, it seems, are, are, are pushing through with, uh, I should say, uh, more or less on schedule, I think, of what was expected. And uh, But it's going to be a long haul. I mean, Mosul's a big area. It's a big city. And they're really going to have to clean this out. And, you know, they're going house to house in an area that's been under ISIS control for over two years, a long time for the Islamic State to build tunnels and set up weapons Absolutely. caches and everything. Yeah, they definitely, they definitely, uh, I mean, two years, your reinforcement and your infrastructure you can build to secure the area is amazing what that, they're able to do. Oh, yeah, they're, they'll, be, they'll be surviving. That's why, I mean, airstrikes are going to be of really limited utility at this point. Uh, and and they're going to have hardened a lot of their command and control areas, I'm sure. So we're you're you're it's as house to house as it gets. It's going to be kicking in doors. Where are the bad guys? And you're not always going to know. And the you know, the Iraqis are going to be taking casualties. And they might have some tricks up their sleeve now too, Greg. You know they they may. I'm sure there are going to be some uh, sort of houseborn IEDs. You know uh, where they essentially just sure. have. Oh yeah, they're going to have whole whole structures going to be booby trapped and uh with women and children inside even i mean it's going to be a mess talking about the whole complex the whole yes. house yeah a whole, whole house thing that goes up. yeah yeah the whole yeah. thing goes up i mean I, I remember the old the old the old tricks these guys used to employ uh you know the the brutality and the barbarity they used to use back in the day when i was covering iraq for the agency so you know there's there's all kinds of stuff that we can expect but uh the battle to retake mosul is underway and so far the iraqis are making progress 
and our Spec Ops guys are helping out wherever they can. Greg from Texas, Shields High, man. Good to talk to you. Uh, team, we've got Hour 3 coming up. Let's finish strong. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome to hour three in the Freedom Hut today. Told you we'd have a Freestyle Friday. We're going to mix it up with topics and get stuff in here that has nothing to do with the election. Very pleased to be joined now by Bill Yenny. He is the author of Panic on the Pacific How America Prepared for a West Coast Invasion. Bill, great to have you. Well, it's great to be here. I figured that this book would resonate with you since your uh, your beat is uh, national security. And indeed it does, sir. This is why we're very pleased to have you. So uh, uh, tell us a bit about the panic on the Pacific. Americans were hit by the Pearl Harbor attack. We now think of it as that was just the beginning of the end for the Japanese. But if you were on the West Coast at the time, things were pretty scary for a while. Yes, they were. It was uh, it was a very scary time for the uh, for the whole country. We watched uh, the uh, the Japanese uh, destroy the Pacific Fleet in uh, in Hawaii. Uh, we watched them wipe the uh, Army Air Forces out of the sky in the Philippines, and um, watched them uh, swallow uh, Southeast Asia like a uh, hot knife through margarine. And um, here on the on the West Coast, there was a uh, uh, just an unnerving sense of uh, of fear, and um, thanks to uh, the uh, unsteady hand of uh, those in leadership positions out here, the fear turned to uh, outright panic. In 1942, the Japanese Times uh, broadcast out that quote the contention that the United States cannot be invaded is as much a myth as that the Maginot Line could not be taken or that Pearl Harbor or Singapore are impregnable. It will be for us to say when, where, and how we will strike. Clearly, there's a propaganda effect of that statement. They want to strike fear into the hearts of the enemy, that being us in this period. Uh, But what were some of the fears? What were some of the concerns? How could this have gone badly for the U.S. post-Pearl Harbor? Well, it could have gone badly given if the uh, if the Japanese would have uh, uh, rerouted some of the Imperial Japanese Army forces that were sent into Southeast Asia. They, if they would have rerouted those to the West Coast, which they they could have done, they had a merchant marine that could have carried them, and um, they could have moved them here. Um, and the West Coast was uh, literally undefended. It was uh, or virtually undefended. The, um, there were two regular army divisions, one at Fort Ord near Monterey and another one up at, uh, at Fort Lewis south of Seattle, and uh, some National Guard units, and that was about it. The, uh, the, fl- the, uh, the fleet was at the, at the bottom of Pearl Harbor, uh, one battleship uh, on the west coast, and it was, uh, it was in, in, uh, in dry dock being repaired. Um, there were a handful of destroyers, so there essentially was no Navy. 
very little army, and um, the uh, Air Force had uh, just a scattering of uh, interceptors, and they were spread from Spokane to uh, San Diego, and uh, really uh, uh, pretty pretty bad shape. Now, we know that there were Nazi, uh, Nazi submarines uh, just off the U.S. coast and, and, and harassing and uh, harassing U.S. shipping, attacking U.S. shipping, and, and uh, they got very close to the U.S. coastline. There were even some Nazi, Nazi saboteurs who landed. This all on the East Coast. What, well, what were some of the uh, close calls or what were some of the things that happened on the West Coast? Were there ever Japanese subs in, in, eye, in eyesight of, uh, of, the, of the West Coast of the United States? How close did they get? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, they were uh, uh, they were sinking ships within uh, within sight of the Pacific Coast Highway. People were watching watching them uh, from the shore, attack, attacking uh, shipping up and down the West Coast, uh, from California to uh, the mouth of the Columbia and, and farther north. And um, then, of course, there was the uh, famous incident in uh, in, the, in February of. Uh, Submarine I-17 surfaced and started shelling the uh, the oil refineries near Santa Barbara. Um, another incident uh, some months later, when uh, another uh, Japanese submarine got into a into a shelling duel with the um, uh, U.S. Army at Fort Stevens near Astoria, Oregon. Uh, Japanese submarine launched uh, um, airplanes uh, dropped incendiaries on the uh, on the forests up in Oregon, and uh, so yeah, they were. They were they I, I think very few on. people, and this is fascinating. I'm so glad you cover this in your book. I think very few people, very few, just you know, everyday Americans would recall or, or would remember studying or ever being told that the Japanese were actually shelling California at one point. That that does not get a lot of play in the history books and in the media. Uh, I, so I'm, I, it's interesting to, to hear the various instances of this because I, I don't think that people have much of a memory of this. I think it's Pearl Harbor, and then we went on the offense. That's what most people think. Well, that's, uh, that's sort of the uh, World War II for dummies approach, I guess, or the Cliff's Notes version of, uh, of World War II. But it, it was pretty scary. And the, like uh, he was saying, the, the, uh, the scary part was that uh, when it came to national security, there really wasn't any out here, and um, uh, that that made people very worried. And then they had their their leaders, General John DeWitt. I call him Jittery John. He uh, was the uh, commander of all uh, uh, U.S. forces on the West Coast. In fact, he was a theater commander because his command was upgraded to uh, to theater of operations uh, status right after Pearl Harbor. And he just uh, he just went off the rails. He was uh, he was screaming and and um, uh, shouting that uh, the Japanese were over the city last night. The Japanese are coming. Um, he was he was hearing Japanese bombers uh, practically every other night. Uh, and uh, of course that did nothing but uh, inspire fear in the, in the populace. Uh, I'm talking to Bill Yenny, who's author of Panic on the Pacific, How America Prepared for a West Coast Invasion. On that issue of, of the invasion, uh, do you get into the book and, and what knowledge, what level of knowledge do we have of what the Japanese invasion plans would have been if they had gotten to that point? It's my understanding the only U.S. territory they ever held 
was Atu Island off of Alaska in the Aleutian chain. And that was essentially an operation meant to show the Japanese could hold U.S. soil for a period of time, even though it was a tiny island in the middle of the yeah. sort of freezing. Uh, yeah, go ahead, sir. two islands, Atu and Kiska, both there were, we go. were invaded and occupied. And uh, Japanese held them for a whole year. And uh, that was uh, that was pretty disconcerting. Um, in in fact, the Japanese had no no plans to invade the West Coast. It was all hyperbole. But um, I suggest that uh, they had the assets where they could have. And um, in the back of the book, your your listeners might uh, might enjoy taking a look at the book and uh, and reading about. Um, uh, an elaborate scenario that I laid out about how they could have invaded uh, at various points on the on the west coast without uh, without significant resistance, if that, um, and uh, gotten ashore. Of course, uh, in 1941, had they penetrated into uh, the rural west, they would have encountered uh, uh, a virtually uh, universal uh, ownership of, uh, of rifles and handguns, and uh, the uh, American people would have, uh, would have been able to make quick work of them had they, had they penetrated more deeply. Is, isn't that the, is it a Yamamoto quote, that they couldn't invade the mainland because there'd be a rifle behind every bri- a blade of grass? I know some people have questioned whether that's a, apocryphal or not, but is, is, that, uh, is that one you've come I don't across? Know that he actually, I don't know that he actually said that, but the, uh, the populace was, was well I heard it during the Cold War. People often said the Russians will never invade because everybody's got a gun. Um, and I, I, I've heard that that was said by, by the Russians, and I, but I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't Fair hear. enough. Uh, let me ask you a bit about the preparations made on the West Coast uh, in, by civilians. Uh, they were part of the panic. I mean, I assume a majority of the panic was... Uh, people who just had heard about this on the radio or reading out of the newspapers, were, were they taking any actions themselves as citizens to prepare for a, pop, a possible Japanese invasion that never came? Well, there was not much that, that, they, uh, that they could have done uh, to, to repel an invasion. The, uh, as I said, the army was spread um, almost ridiculously thin on the, on the West Coast. Um, Joe Stilwell, who uh, is history buffs will remember as the uh, American commander in uh, China during World War II. He was, at, on December 7th, the uh, commander of the southern sector of the Western Defense Command, and he had a famous quote that, uh, where, where he said, uh, Japanese could have landed anywhere, and after our, our small stocks of ammunition ran out, they could have shot us like pigs in a pen. Uh, but uh, and so that's the army. Uh, civilians, um, they uh, they really had uh, had very little to uh, to uh, defend against something like that. The uh, uh, certainly against air attack, which was was assumed uh, to be the the first uh, the first thing that would happen, as it happened at Pearl Harbor, and people had watched the newsreels of the London Blitz, and so they imagined. Uh, that sort of thing happening in L.A. and San Francisco and Seattle. And um, so there were blackouts, and uh, the blackout was the uh, sort of the, the signature uh, uh, defensive measure that uh, that was uh, was used up and down the West Coast. If, if you black out a city, then the Japanese can't, uh, can't spot it at night and uh, 
can't see where it, where it is and where they're going, and it's harder for them to attack. And of course, the blackouts uh, were at least at the uh, for the first couple of months were were pretty uh, pretty poorly executed. So it was you'd have uh, a huge swath of uh, of a city blacked out completely, and while downtown would be lit with all of its neon lights and uh and so it was very patchy and very difficult a lot of comedy of errors except for the uh pedestrians that were hit by blacked out cars on blacked out streets and uh so it was uh, it was it was pretty much chaos and the uh and the leadership was uh, was uh, really uh I would really give them a, a failing grade for for how they how they handled civil defense Bill Yenny is author of Panic on the Pacific, How America Prepared for a West Coast Invasion. Bill, sounds fascinating. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, everybody should uh, take a look at the book on Amazon. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, sir. Uh, Team, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Well, I certainly put this in the some justice or some good news category. Remember that UVA, uh, that that UVA rape story, horrific story about a gang rape at UVA uh, that nobody cared about because of rape culture. And and it was completely and utterly false. I mean, falsified, top to bottom, completely fabricated. And Rolling Stone magazine ran with it. Same magazine that put. I think it was Jahar Sarnayev on the cover, you know, looking as cool as possible. Um, uh, Rolling Stone is, to me, uh, about as about as valuable and valid as that brown stain that you can't get off the back of the porcelain of your toilet bowl. Uh, but Rolling Stone is uh, uh, is now going to have to pay. Well, I'm sure they're probably insured or something at some level. So who knows how much of this will really hurt them. But their $7.5 million, uh, they've been found liable to pay in a defamation lawsuit. Uh, Sabrina Erdely is liable. Rolling Stone magazine is liable. And Wenner Media, Jan Wenner is the owner of Rolling Stone, uh, liable. $7.5 million in a defamation lawsuit. They found, the jury found that there was actual malice in the reporting. And yeah, I mean, can you imagine if you're this dean at UVA and it's reported uh, they report this story as though you're you're com- you could care less about a, a horrific. I mean, if you haven't read the article, by the way, you should go and read it just to see one. You'll see that. And I still am annoyed at myself to this day because when I read it and I said it in front of a family member, when I, read it, I said it just it just didn't. The dialogue between the people afterwards seemed fake. Uh, I was at, a you know, I was at college and I was at some parties that got rowdy and and, you know, people definitely showed some bad judgment and uh and probably i mean not that i was aware but you know some not so good things i'm sure happened here and there uh if i was at a party and a, and a woman uh ran downstairs with uh, glass in her back and she was bleeding everywhere because she had just been the whole party would stop the police would have been called and there would have been probably uh you know a, a gang of guys gathering on the spot looking for whoever did it i mean it's just there's no way that what the way they describe this uh 
uh, was it just would have been it, it was so heinous that 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 early this supposedly veteran reporter didn't think that any sources needed to be checked or or even even the most basic. I mean, the, the kind of due diligence that anybody would do. I mean, the kind of due diligence that that anybody who wasn't even a reporter would just do if they were trying to figure this stuff out. Look up this. Look up some of these individuals on Facebook. See if they really exist. See if any of the story lines up. Uh, and yeah, she went with a, a, a fantasist story, and she was uh, she was reckless. Um, Rolling Stone publishing this was absolutely reckless, uh, but it also goes to show you that there is a uh, there's a, a willingness to completely abandon the most clear cut standards of journalism and uh, f- f- facts and evidence when there's a very important progressive narrative to push. And they wanted to push this narrative that campuses, campuses are a rape culture uh, and, and that they this is pervasive and this happens everywhere. Uh, are there sexual assaults on campus? Absolutely. Are there too many? Certainly. Uh, are there ways that we, as a country, or, or at least on campus, they could talk about these things that would, would be constructive and I think would be helpful? Yes, but there's the there's a very strange uh, signaling at a lot of these schools, you know, they especially schools that have a very active uh, fraternity fraternity system that they kind of get to have it their way. And they're worried about alumni donations and there's all this stuff going on all the time. And yet they also then are having all these workshops on, you know, consent and uh, drinking and everything else. Uh, everybody, you know, everyone when I was in school was just. People were just drinking too much, bottom line. Uh, male, female, everybody was just drinking too much. It wasn't cool. It was really bad for all of us. Uh, people looked worse as a result of it. They probably slowed them down in the classroom, on the sport, uh, sports field more than they realized. Uh, and anyway, but we, we don't have those discussions. We, we just have you know sort of progressive social justice warriors out there more or less pushing for written contracts before you can actually engage in any kind of relations with somebody. I mean, that, this is actually a thing that people talk about. There should be an app where she kind of like signals her consent on the apps. You have a, a record, a digital record of it. I mean, this is where all this is, is going now. Um, and if you want to have a constructive talk about how there's just way too, there's, it's, there's a difference between drinking and binge drinking, and the binge drinking that occurs in these campuses is completely out of control, and, and that leads to bad things. Um, that leads to criminal things in some cases. But anyway, this Rolling Stone thing was just, it was outrageous. It showed us uh, just how, how unethical a place like Rolling Stone was willing to be and in order to pursue a certain narrative. And, you know, they really hurt people. I mean, to, can you imagine, like I said, if you're this dean and you're indifferent to a horrible gang rape, I mean, your reputation is ruined. You've essentially been outed as a terrible human being, and she did, she did nothing. There was no gang. There, this was all a complete and utter fabrication. So some justice served here, $7.5 million Rolling Stone uh defamation lawsuit goes through i i wish it was like 70 million and rolling stone would be would be toast but i guess that's not going to happen um and i also of course gawker seems like it's going to live to live to slime another day which is disconcerting um but we'll see we shall see uh 888-900-3393 if you're on hold right now we'll take your calls on the other side of the break if you want to call in we got a spot or two open and uh, we're going to talk about some other stuff that's not election related because i feel like we're sort of up to speed on it right there's 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 this guy named trump and this woman named hillary and and they're both trying to be president 
and everyone's kind of depressed about it, and that's sort of the whole shebang. Uh, and and there's going to be a big vote on Tuesday, and no one knows what's going to happen. Mm, the country is going to be in an interesting spot afterwards. That's sort of where we are. So that's my update on that. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up, though, team. Stay with me back in just a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Drudge almost became like a companion of mine, not the guy, but the website, for years. I mean, it's just, Drudge has just been this fixture, you know, I just, what am I, am I if I need a little quick news news fix, I just flip out uh, Drudge on my phone, and Drudge, what's happened to you, bro? Why, why do we have InfoWars links up more than ever? I mean, I know they've been doing that for a long time. But and now we've even got RT linked on here. RT isn't like a kind of sort of maybe Kremlin propaganda front. It is it is funded by the Kremlin. It is the Russian government putting a cable channel in English on American TV. Very straightforward. Okay, there's no question. There's no kind of sort of maybe. This is all on the record and all matter of fact. And I just I just drudge. It just makes me sad. Why? And Infowars. With, uh, with, you know, the guys, you know, he's, he's on there, just pushing, just pushing for American freedom, real, real stuff. You know, he's really just exposing the truth about the Bilderbergs, the Illuminati, and you know, the Buck Sexton CIA conspiracy to take over media. You know, looks like Bob's big boy. Why don't you say it to my face, son? Uh, what do we got here? Some calls coming in eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Uh. David in Oklahoma, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Chill tie, Buck, from your fellow graybeard millennial. Uh, nice. My graybeard brother. What's going on? Well, I, I haven't heard anybody touch on this yet, but the sheer number of emails on Anthony, Anthony Weiner's computer makes me wonder if were these cloud-based backed up, or does he, his hard drive just have an extremely large number of gigs or I'm sure it'd probably be in terabytes. What's your thoughts on that? I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to kind of give me the question one more time, Eric. I, I didn't follow. So Wiener, uh, Wiener, you're asking Wiener has terabytes on his computer. What are you asking me? No, no. How big is the hard drive that is? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, to have 650,000 emails. Yes. I mean, emails I mean, are small, so I, I don't. I don't. But look, I'm not a tech guy. I, I really don't know. I mean, I feel like you know, my Gmail probably has 50,000 emails in it or something, right? Maybe 100,000. I don't know. So six hundred thousand does sound like a lot to me, but I, I think I think a you know a Mac laptop could somebody have, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I I'm, I don't know. I'm not a tech person, but uh, yeah, I mean I think a Mac laptop could pretty easily contain six hundred fifty thousand emails, uh, six hundred fifty thousand episodes of The Walking Dead in HD. Probably not, but uh, emails I think they could do. Yeah, but I mean you know there's some <laughs> you'd hate to uh, just see what's on there knowing this guy. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I I think look, he's the the one person, the one person in this whole Clinton mess that I'm very confident is going to prison is Anthony Weiner. 
uh, you know, I don't know yet, but that's if I was placing a bet, I, he, he's the one that I think is, is the most, uh, you know, the, in, he's in the greatest and most imminent legal jeopardy of anybody in all this stuff. So uh, so there's that um, as to uh, where these emails go and uh, meaning, you know, where does the email investigation go at this point? It, it's so much a, a function of what we find in there. And I just don't know. And I've tried to I've tried to sort of play it out in my head and see, well, what would be what would create maximum damage? And I just I don't see Hillary and Huma being stupid enough to. Uh, spell out a quid pro quo in one email for Clinton Foundation activity. It, it just that's just also not how people would communicate, right? It's very unlikely that you'd ever write out if you're Hillary Clinton. Oh, really? He gave 15 million to the foundation. I'm going to call so and so in the trade office, of the State Department now, and tell him that we need to put that arms deal through. You know, I it just it, that's just not that's unlikely, and that's the kind of thing that you'd probably have either a voice to voice conversation. You know, you'd talk on the phone or in person. So I'm not particularly uh, – I'm not optimistic that there's going to be anything on there that's game-changing. I think it's probably going to be a lot more of the stuff we've seen. The For me, the really interesting thing would be if at some point, uh, assuming the Russians have all the stuff, I want to see what the classified was. Now, that's also dangerous. I understand that because that means that everyone can see it, and if it's really sensitive stuff, it's out there. But keep in mind, if the Russians already have it, we don't, you know, who, who have the Russians shared it with already? What other, you know, the Russians have their own intel relationships with different countries all over the world. So, you know, are, you get to a point where it's like, are the American people the only ones who don't get to know this information? Because it sounds like our enemies might already have it. Uh, and, and that would be, for me, if I could see what it was, you know, they're, they've sort of spread this, this rumor out there, or not this rumor, this defense, David, that this is the kind of stuff where they up where they classify things that are kind of publicly known and you know it's not really classified classified uh, i would like to see because i have a feeling that no no it's actually classified classified in there i mean if the fbi did this review and over 100 things were more classified and there were a number that were marked ts that to me uh that that to me is is disqualifying but without seeing exactly what the information is it's hard for me to to really be able to fight that fight you know what i mean Yes, sir. And I one more thing before I let you go. Uh, I can't agree with you anymore about the Drudge report. It's man, it's it's disheartening and it's sickening to see what's going on. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Yeah, what? I mean, Matt Drudge was like was like the internet, you know, was like the internet resistance. You know, he was like the internet insurgency, the news insurgency for for so many years. And there was such great stuff on that site. And with the with the rise of the Trump thing, I mean, it's just a. Uh, you know, it's a lot of tr- a lot of Trumpisms and a lot of uh, info wars, and now RT. And I'm like, dude, come on. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe the traffic is way up, but I, I, I hope people. I, I hope the American people forget the American people for a second. I hope the American right will remember in this whole thing who was right and who was honest and who was fair uh, when all said and done. That's that's my hope. We'll see if we'll see if that's the case. David from Oklahoma, Shields High, my man. Good to talk to you. Uh, we've got Neil in Kansas City. What's up, Neil? Hey, Buck. How's it going? Oh, that's all right. It's a nice Friday. Okay. Good deal. I, I really like, I really enjoy your show, and I, and I like the uh, diversity of opinions you bring on, so thank you thank for you. that. Absolutely. Um, my question is this. I, uh, over over time, I mean, I continue to have gotten sucked into this this uh, election. I normally don't do that. I'm not, I'm not a big political guy, per se. But in general, I, it's amazing to me how polar opposite friends family colleagues you name it that those of us really are my clinton buddies or 
are very much, you know, get completely against Trump. You know, he's he's evil. He's a sexual predator. He's mean, corrupt. You know, not successful in business. Blah blah blah. For me, I, I've already voted for Trump. I pulled the lever. I'm not a huge supporter per se, but I just absolutely can't stand all the corrupt corruption and things that I see on the Clinton side. Yeah. I grew up in Arkansas, so, I, so it's not new news to me. I, I, there's always been those guys for as long as I can remember. But the just the corruption and the lies and the server, and aside from the content and the emails, just the the thought that I'm above the law and can do this and be so blatant about it, I just can't handle that. Along with all the shadiness and you know just just the core corruption, I just can't I can't get behind. So I was just curious what your thoughts were on that, of, of how in the hell have we become so polar? You know, it's like our, our moral compasses are, are a little different these days. Uh, and the people that I know and trust and, you know, in some cases love, too, that have grown up with these people, and we just can't get on the same playing field. <laughs> you know, Neil, I, I think your question, which is, was very well taken, I, I think it, it really requires a monologue, <laughs> maybe even a, a sort of separate show unto itself, because – when did when did it when did the the change really happen or or when did it start to happen because it's been over a long period of time that we we aren't arguing over it's not like we're on the same playing field anymore with progressives it's not that we think that this policy is a little better and they think that policy is a little better it's they want to transform the country i mean barack obama himself has sa- said this very publicly to much applause at the time you know to fundamentally transform america Uh, And I think I was talking to David Harsanyi earlier in the week about how the Constitution for a lot of progressives is really just they will cite it only when it suits their purposes. But they generally think of it as a joke written by a bunch of white slaveholders that is anachronistic and should no longer uh, should no longer sort of guide uh, this polity should no longer be a play a major role in in the way our government functions and the way we think about our relationship between citizen and government. So there is a very dramatic split, and I think also a, a big part of that we see is is that the the uh, the sort of central tenets and precepts of the Democratic Party are now deeply left, and and we we don't have uh, areas we, we we don't have areas of agreement that we used to. I mean, you know, you look at some of the big Democrats from decades past. I mean, you look at somebody like a Kennedy, for example, and his positions on a lot of things would be unrecognizable to the Democratic Party, right? So. Democrats have been shifting and becoming more and more of a leftist statist party. And I think that not only has it has that happened over time, but it's also been accelerating over time. And you have look, I mean, Barack Obama was among the most left wing senators in the Democratic Party, became president. Hillary Clinton's voting record as a senator is is actually, I believe, has been analyzed as being more left wing than Barack Obama's. And now she's their nominee for president. You know, you centrist Democrats aren't being elevated to high office and centrist Democrats aren't uh, the ones that the Democratic Party are putting forward as the future of their party because they've really, they, you know, the Democrats have become progressive. Look, look at Bernie Sanders. I mean, what, what better evidence can I give you than that? Right. You got Bernie Sanders doing really well. I mean, so well that he was actually a threat to the Clinton dynasty. And this is a guy who's like, yeah, I'm a socialist. I mean, he was out there saying this. Stuff. So, you know, I, you know, the, your, your question is, is excellent. It's just there's a lot there's a lot to sort of pull together there. Um, and I, I think it's because statism is inherently incremental and and they also try to make it irreversible. And so with each passing year, they achieve these little victories and conservatives are just trying to say, OK, well, we're not going to do this. We're going to hold the line here. We're going to hold the line here. And it's very you know, there's we don't have an answer to the incrementalism of an increasingly large 
government, uh, or we haven't found the answer, I should say. I mean, of course, we know the answer is a smaller government, but we haven't been able to get the momentum going uh, in the other direction for, for quite some time. Uh, so, Neil, i got to give you that as my answer for now, but I promise I'll continue to think about it and address it here on the show. And uh, Shield Tie in Kansas City, my man, good to talk to you. You too, buddy. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Uh, Patrick in Kansas, going to get you in here. What's up, my friend? Yeah, he kind of along the same lines. Uh, and I was listening to your to your podcast from yesterday uh, with the gentleman from the Republic. It's dealing with compromise. And, and, and Patrick, can you speak up a little bit? I'm having a hard time hearing you. It sounds like you're calling me from, you know, U571 or something. No. <laughs> no. It's, sorry about that. Um, it's what we think of as uh, compromise now, where you see these moderate Republicans, so, so they call themselves, and it's it's real world. Their their idea is really personal enrichment is, is what we see, and and they they talk about figures like Cruz uh, being uh, obstructionists, and they throw out these talking points that. I think are largely thrown out by, you know, like what you were talking about, status and and whatever Yahoo News, you know, website that they're being NPR. We got about sixty seconds. I'm gonna need you to get me to a question here, Patrick. Yeah. And so moving forward, I mean, how do you see how do you see uh, the environment? Uh, how how do you foster an environment that you have you have a figure that can uh, produce produce um, a message that's palatable and yet representative of a conservative message. Patrick, again, an excellent question, a big question, and one that's going to require more time to answer than, unfortunately, I'm, I'm afforded right now. But, um, and sorry, and Patrick, thank you. I didn't mean for the, him to get cut off there. I just, I'm dealing with the time constraint here. Uh, a short answer would be, um, how do we get a messenger that can address all these things? Uh, I don't actually know. I need to think about it. I don't know. Going to a break. Uh, we'll be right back, team. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, many of you uh, know that I like to talk about how much most movies are terrible, um, although I do love some movies. Braveheart, The Pianist, um, what's the uh, Last King of Scotland? I mean, I can sit here and talk about movies I love all day. Ghostbusters. I even love The Fugitive. Yeah, I'll say it. I love it. Uh, there's a great New York Post article, though, about the 20 worst songs of all time. Clearly, these are the 20 worst, like, famous songs of all time. And some of them, they're spot on. Some of them I disagree with. The ones that I think are spot on, Baha Men Who Let the Dogs Out, it, it's, it's the audio equivalent of punching yourself in the face. Totally agree. Um, Eddie Murphy, Party All the Time. You have, to, you have to look at the music video just to even believe that Eddie Murphy did this. Um, <laughs> you think it's okay? All right. Uh, guy says it's okay. And uh, Ty, Ty likes it. Oh, come on, Ty. No way. Ties and fools. Ty and I have to have a talk. Uh, Brian Adams. Brian Adams is on here with everything I do. I do it for you. That's a good song. Brian Adams, the Canadian crooner. Uh, what else do we have? It's on here. 99 Luftballons. Agree. Very annoying. The Beatles. Hey Jude. Yes. 
the na 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 part just just ruins. If you're in a bar and Hey Jude comes on, just just leave. Just go somewhere else because every drunk fool around na 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 na. It's so bad. Oh, Ty. Of course, Ty loves. Hey, dude, Ty is killing me right now. Uh, oh, the Macarena. Well, everyone knows that the Macarena is is like self parody. Um, Europe, the final countdowns on here. No, it's meant for sports arenas. I disagree with that. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, Achy Breaky Heart. Um, I, yeah, terrible song, but it served its purpose at the time. And then there was Miley Cyrus. That's right. Uh, oh yeah, Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy. Does not make anybody happy. Just makes them want to uh, rip their eardrums out. Oh, and at the top of the list, bare, bare naked ladies. One week. Totally agree. I think you're on a date with somebody, and it, they're the greatest person ever. Bare naked ladies comes on, and they're like, "I love this song." I think you get up and leave. I think. I think you might have to get up and leave. All right, team. Uh, we're going to obviously have a lot to talk about next week. Election Tuesday, Monday, we'll be covering everything. And uh, have a fantastic weekend. Please download the show at theblaze.com slash Buck Sexton. Until Monday, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.